This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanol, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Welcome back to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Today's episode is all about closing the gap. Pleasure, that is. Liz Klinger is the co-founder of Lioness, a sexual wellness company responsible for creating the world's first and only biofeedback smart vibrators. Translation, you can see when and how to improve your orgasms by understanding what arouses you. Like a true taboo breaker, Liz doesn't leave much to the interpretation as she reflects on the way art insisted her interest in sex, how we can become more open to the things that scare us, and why living in the grey is so damn hard. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome Liz Klinger. Liz, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Michelle. I'm happy to share any good vibes. Amazing. So look, you and I recently connected via LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you're doing in business and femtech and sex tech, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, of course. I'm uh, yeah, happy to just dive in and see, see what you want to learn. Love it. Cool. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I oh gosh, where where do I even begin? I guess um well oh gosh, why is this is always a kind of a difficult question. It's, it's like, a hard so, question, you know, <laughs> right off the bat. We like to do it that way. No. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um yeah, so I'm so yeah, so I'm the I'm the co-founder and CEO of Lioness. And Lioness is basically a it's a sexual wellness company and it, we've developed the first smart vibrator. And by smart, we mean a vibrator that uses precision sensors and biofeedback. Uh, So with an app, it's able to help visualize arousal and orgasms for people. And the point of that is to basically help people learn more about how their bodies work, what 
sort of factors can change their experience and ultimately how to have better pleasure. So cool, Liz. Oh my goodness. When I was looking into your company and doing a bit of research, I've done quite a lot. I was just like, this is, this is just so, it's so different. It's so new. It's not something you hear all the time. So, you, you know, I can't wait to dive a bit deeper into that with you a bit later. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think it's also this type of stuff or these type of questions I also get sometimes too, because it's like, how how did you get to what you're doing? Like, how did you end up making a high-tech vibrator? <laughs> like, you don't go to school for that, you know? Yeah. Um, so for... For me, uh, I so I grew up, or I'm from the Midwest in the United States initially, and um, moved over to California early on in, in my childhood. Uh, so I was in the Bay Area. Uh, my dad's an engineer. So I was very much in like, like, I wasn't, you know, not a tech worker, but I was around sort of that, um, the technology scene, like for in the Bay Area in the 90s and in the 2000s. And I think even though it, it's kind of funny because like, even though I, I'm not, I am not an engineer per se. And like, I like pretty much refused to <laughs> do engineering when I was growing up because I was like, oh, you're just sitting at a desk all day and you're on the computer and you're like, that, that's what my dad does. So it's like, you know, at the time, that, that's what my understanding was of it. So I didn't find it that compelling at the time at the time (laughs) and um but I think even just like even just being there and um just being around that sort of influenced what types of things I gravitated towards when I became like as I grew up and then the question came to like you know what what do I want to do in life uh I ended up gravitating towards more towards the arts uh, when I was growing up, going through college, and then ended up going towards engineering a bit <laughs> when I was like near the end of college, taking different engineering classes uh, initially to help supplement the like I did sculpture, so it's like oh I should take in engineering because there's these cool things like three D printing is becoming a thing and be able to create copies of my sculpture. <laughs> so to do that, I need to take the engineering classes. So that kind of got me back into like thinking about like, oh, hey, like making, making products and using technology to make people's lives better could be a really interesting path. And then I was really interested in sex also. So that was um, kind of meshed those two together and eventually it became lioness. So that was a long-winded question, but that's kind of a taste of like where I'm from, where I grew up, um, how some of the, how some of these things shaped where I am today. Mm. And I love it. And I love asking that question just for that reason. You know, I think it's, I think people are always often thinking, how did, you know, this company even, you know, how did the idea even come about? Where did this come from? Why did this person choose to do it? All that kind of stuff. And I think it's just so interesting that for you, it was like your dad was an engineer your whole life. You grew up in the Bay Area, you were around tech. And it's just so funny that although that didn't play such a huge role in your, like when you were growing up, in your later Mm -hmm. years, it's like become pretty much 
you know, what you do. So I guess, you know, as a child, I think, I think I saw that you went to Dartmouth and I think you did studio art and philosophy. So that was really far from engineering and, and all of that, you know, as a child and, and kind of, you know, teenage years heading into college, wh- where was your head out with things? You know, were you obviously using your, probably using your hands a lot, you know, what, what were your, the things that you were passionate about during that time? And then I guess, what did you learn about yourself and the world around you as you headed into college? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. Um, do you want to go into like more feel sort of answer? Yeah, or you wanna go sure. Into... <laughs> sure. Give me it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think like high school and like, if we're talking like high school and college, it, it was a, it was an interesting time for sure. Like I, like I had moved uh, to a different high school in the middle of the school year. So it was like kind of being dropped into a different, a whole different sort of um, group and you kind of have to start anew again, not knowing anyone. Um, I also, I also, for lack of a better word, the, the easiest way to describe it was I was a little sort of gothy punk kid growing up and I, I was kind of rebellious. I didn't usually <laughs> listen to my parents. Um, and art was sort of a part of that where it's like, I'm able to use it, this as a, as an outlet to explore ideas I was grappling with at the time as like, as a moody teenager going, even going into, you know, being a slightly less moody young adult. <laughs> and um, <laughs> like, that's, that's really where the, like why I gravitated towards art. And I liked making like kind of using my hands and building things like kind of doing my own experiments in a way. Like I, I ended up being sort of a left brain artist, I guess, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, and yeah, it was, um, yeah, like I think it started with using art as a, just as a way to start exploring and answering different questions or just conveying ideas I had. And it started with like just doing comics because I, I really liked comics growing up. And then as I became older, like I started to like think about different things related to sex. Like it wasn't, like even though I was in the Bay Area, which in the U.S. is considered a more typically typically um, liberal place mm-hmm. in terms of like sex education and access and things like that, it's still overall there's not that much information. And especially this is like in the you know '90s, early 2000s too, which is very different from today. And I had a lot of questions about sex, and I had a lot of questions about sexuality, and not many places to learn or talk about stuff. So I ended up using art as a way to explore those ideas too. And that became that transition into college and trying these different, basically conveying different things I was grappling with, with like taboo topics and being able to show it in a way that can make people think about things in a different perspective. And I can get more into that if you want me to, but um, figured I'd stop there so I'm not rambling too much. Not rambling, rambling at all. I think it's it's so interesting, and I think you know it's just fascinating that you were just trying to navigate. You were just trying to navigate, figure out who you are, what is this all about, and I I find it interesting that it's specifically the taboo topics that you were kind of like, yeah, like I want to. Why aren't we talking about sex? Why aren't we talking about sexuality? And why aren't we actually like? Why is this so taboo? You know, 
I guess for our peers out there listening, maybe they're at college and maybe they're also grappling with a couple of different things that might be taboo. They feel a bit afraid to talk about, or maybe it's even just around career path and like they want to go be an artist, but you know, their parents want them to be a lawyer, you know, what? What advice would you give to our peers out there listening around getting comfortable with speaking up and, and I guess talking about the taboo things? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's a tough one because I like with doing like with majoring in art and philosophy, both, both my parents majored or their, their career is in very uh, practical fields, like engineering degree leads to engineering job, uh, nursing leads, leads to being a nurse. (laughs) So (laughs) when I went to a liberal arts college and I didn't major in anything that like immediately leads to something useful. That was a concern for sure. (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, it's, I mean, sometimes it's, it can be, it can be difficult and it really depends on what your family situation is. Uh, But I think it's, if you see, like, if this, you know, if if you're passionate about something, like, especially if it's, I mean, if you're thinking about college, if you're passionate about something, like, yeah, it may not, like, I may not be a philosopher or, um, like an artist, like showing work in a gallery, but a lot of those lessons that I learned from both of those, as well as the engineering classes I took and God knows what else, I've, you know, it's been a while. So, you know, <laughs> what the other, the other classes that I, I took during college, all of those like in different ways ended up leading to the the sort of things that I'm doing right now. So like with with the art probably most directly, I ended up using that to explore and like get really excited about sex and sexuality as topics. And then that led to uh, later selling sex toys to people and finding out like, hey, like everyone has questions about sex. Like no matter how old you are or who you are, like every single party I went to, like they people would pull me aside and ask questions. And that was like, then that became like, okay, so I'm interested in this topic. People have questions about sex and people are using sex toys to explore that about themselves and they need personalized information. And that, I mean, that's how that led to blindness. And like, similarly with like some of the work around philosophy, like I, like the thing, the area of philosophy I was really interested in at the time was philosophy of art because there are always these, there is um, a lot of questions about like, what is art? What is uh, what is credible art versus craft? And you know, there's that piece of it, and then also the piece of like, is there are there things that are considered too taboo to be art? And I ended up studying a lot of the the like sort of challenging work that was created by artists in the last couple of decades that challenged that made a lot of people angry sometimes, but also made a lot of people get excited and like love that that work existed. And although it's not a direct sort of, like I'm not using those examples directly, I'm learning about examples from the past, um, history of like how these topics have been treated to better understand the context of where I sit when I'm part of this company that is addressing um, similar topics. So it's, yeah, it's sort of like 
trusting yourself that if you're passionate about something, you're doing something that it it should, as long as you're doing something and you're excited about it, it should lead you somewhere good. You'll, you'll meet people, you'll get, and you'll get interesting opportunities. You'll find, you'll come across something that is exciting. May not be the thing that you're not, it may not be the thing that you're thinking about, like when you're 18, but it's probably as long as you're excited about it when you're in your twenties or thirties, forties beyond it, like, does that really matter? <laughs> you know, like if you're happy, you're, you know, paying the bills, you're, you have the life that you want. Like that's, that's really what matters at the end of the day. Um, in terms of parents, it's, it is difficult. Like they may not agree with it. They may. And, you know, if you depend on your parents for, different like for different responsibilities or for like finances or something like that you know that can also add layers of complication but if you can just talk to them about it and keep try to do it in some way because that's that's really what's going to lead you to finding the things that you like that can help you pay the bills and they're sustainable i love how you mentioned that you know there's there's your passion and then there's actually turning that into something that's actually going to pay the bills and actually going to be sustainable long-term. You know, for you, when you were just coming out of college and, you know, you were trying to make your way in the world, I saw you did your grad role at, at Credit Suisse. So that was kind of a, a, something <laughs> I wasn't expecting, you know, coming from a studio art philosophy straight to like a, an investment banking tech, I think you were a consultant there, you know, Talk to us a little bit about that decision there for you. Was that more around the security? Was that something that you kind of thought, oh, no, I actually might be interested in it? You know, talk to us a little bit about the decision to to work there and then kind of how you navigated that time. Yeah, that was that was funny because <laughs> I, coming out of college, so the thought process was, uh, so well, one it wasn't. It was around the time of the recession, so a lot of um, it was really difficult to get jobs pretty much anywhere. Like uh, it, it, it was. I mean, probably similar to this time yeah. too. It, it was. It was really difficult. So I, I was really interested in like one. I was like, okay, art's not a viable career path. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, it's not something that I wanted to do. Like be a, a fine art studio artist. But maybe I, I still want to do something creative and, you know, kind of fun, maybe advertising or like brand strategy or something like that. But that was really difficult, too, because the recession and no one was hiring. It was like for someone who's new and fresh out of school, no real world experience. It was it was not it was not a good time. So I did a lot of searching. I, I remember at one point I got an internship offer and then it was rescinded because they like I'd already like signed a lease and like they was like ready to go. Uh but they had their intern like the intern stayed on. So they're like, oh we don't have room for another person. I was like, oh my God, what do I do? So um I ended up using like for for Dartmouth and for probably a number of a number of different schools, they have different sort of uh, alumni career networks. So I ended up going to those and just contacting different people, like, as you know, I'm looking for a job and people, you know, pe- like I want to talk to people in the field. And sometimes there's someone who has the time and 
they might be interested in helping. So that that helped a lot with like figuring out where like what I wanted to do and initially and like what opportunities were out there. But the the Credit Suisse one, how that came up was I um I was friends with um someone from this is from college who she she basically so she she's older, she has an NGO and she used to be in finance. So a lot of the people on her board were also in finance. And so one day um she heard from one of her one of her board members that she was starting a new job at Credit Suisse. She was the managing director. And she was uh she was kind of an eccentric, she's kind of an eccentric person, uh, but she's lovely. Like some like lovely eccentric. And she was like, I'm looking for some bright young things with like a South African accent that I, I cannot I cannot do justice for. Um, and she's like, maybe a, a philosophy major or an art major. Mm. And my um my friend, yeah, my friend was like, I think I know someone. <laughs> I think, you know, I'll, I can put together a dinner and you can meet and you can see if you you know, if you kind of connect and if you want to do something with with that. So that that basically is how I ended up at a at an investment bank as a, you know, <laughs> former goth kid artist, you know, not wanting to work for the man, but I, you know, I ended up working for the man <laughs> for a little bit. And it, but it was a it was an interesting circumstance where it was a very um like I, I like the group of people. Uh, that 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 department that I was part of, because she had a lot of um, it wasn't your sort of typical like investment bank type people, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it just ended up working. Like that that was one of those like it's one of those situations of just like being open to what what is kind of out there. And even though like if you were to ask me in college, like you know you want to work in an investment bank, I'd be like hell no, that's <laughs> terrible hours. It you know just terrible job <laughs> like i'm yeah you get you know the pay is the pay is nice but it's just you know say goodbye to your life mm-hmm. uh but in this case it i was like well you know in this case like i like the people it pays i like the people <laughs> and <laughs> it's you know it's interesting like the work was interesting too at the time because it's it was addressing like current events at that time of like uh the the U.S. economy and the world economy being terrible. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, let's try it. <laughs> let's see what happens. Like, this is not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How can we get? How can we get better at being open to the things that we usually wouldn't be open to? Oh, that's difficult. Because <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely the first person if I. The first person I know, like, if I don't like something, I will be like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, I know with Credit Suisse, like, at first I was like, I don't, why would I want to do that? Like, <laughs> that, is that interesting? Like, that is, you know, just being, that, that, that's not something where, I, like, I would have uh, just been super excited about being like, sign me up right away. It took a lot of, it took a lot of thinking and self-reflection and also, being around people who I trust, whose like opinions I trust and who I could talk to about these things. So it's like, 
that that's like being around like friends who have your your best interest, whether it's a, a friend or a partner, or parents or relatives or whoever. And also just like, what can you learn from this? Like at the time it was like, well, I need something to get started. Like this may not be, this is interesting. It, you know, it's, it takes some rigorous thinking. Like there's some other jobs that I've looked at where it's like, I just hang out in a Brooklyn studio with a, in like the cat was somehow in the interview room and they're like, oh, the cat likes you. And like, that's, that's, you know, going to be around that cat a lot. I'm like, okay, this is weird. Um, so it's like, it, I started looking at like, you know, what are the, what are the pros and cons basically? And it's like, yeah, it's not the first thing I would have thought of coming out of school, but it's something that could be interesting. I, I'm able to like, even though I don't have like direct skills, like there, there aren't really in the job that I was doing or for any jobs really coming out of school. Like there aren't any sort of, even though, yeah, you take classes, you get a diploma, you know, that's all nice. Like you don't really have any skills usually that you <laughs> lead into your first job. Like you kind of, you, you start picking up those things when you're actually working. So mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like, yeah, let's just see what happens and let's see if it's, um, you know, worse, if worse comes to worse, like I'll do, they might hate me and I'll get fired in a spectacular fashion and that would suck. <laughs> um, but I'll try it, <laughs> you know, like I'll, you know, make sure that, you know, I'll see if I, if I like it. And if, in any case, it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting story, I might learn some things. And I, and I definitely did. So I think that self-reflection and having people to talk to is really important with uh, being open to new things. I love it. So key. So I want to shift gears yeah. a little bit and talk a little bit about your business. So I think it went, so I think it went like this. I think it was like, you know, Credit Suisse for a year, you were doing your thing, you were trying something new. And then I think after that, you head straight into running your own freelance design company. And then not long Mm -hmm. after that, you started your business. So talk to us a little bit about the transition from corporate to freelance and then where the idea for Linus actually came about. Yeah, so... Basically, after after about a year, I was like looking back at the experience with Credit Suisse, and I really like I love I still love the people. Like I loved, like I love that I love the opportunity. But ultimately, I was like more and more wanting to do something that again was more. I don't know what the the word is like. I don't know if it's not really creative because like Credit Suisse was creative in various ways, but it's more like, I, I like working with my hands. I liked thinking about like designing something, make, creating something. And with um, Credit Suisse and with a lot of large organizations, it's difficult to say or to be in a role where you can feel like you've helped create something and you've really put um, like, you know, you've really helped sort of shape the thing that you're creating. So I ended up like, I, and also I, um, I was with, uh, well, still I'm uh, with, uh, with my partner who we're now, we're now married. And uh, he, he was extremely supportive and it was like, okay, you know, like we, we built up the sort of, um, you know, the sort of um, 
built up a bit of, you know, runway for ourselves. And he was like, you know, if you, if you really, you know, if you really want to figure out what you want to do and we can, you know, we can kind of go from there. So that gave me the, that gave me the encouragement and the support to leave and to start exploring other things. Like I was sort of in this like purgatory phase in a way of like, I knew I like leaving the company. I knew I was kind of interested in like something with art making things. I wasn't quite sure what. And also the, you know, the sex topic was kind of in the back of my brain. And like, I was like, I know I, that's not something I can do at Credit Suisse, but I'll figure out something and what exactly I want to do. And there was also like, I wasn't sure if I wanted to like readily say to people like, yeah, I want to make something in maybe a sex toy, maybe something in the, in the sex space. So there's a couple of years there where it's like, I'm trying different things and like working for other people to kind of get a sense of like, you know, I did some marketing stuff. I did some design stuff. I, in just to see if like, I, I can help people with those skills, but, or with those things, but do I, is it something that I want to actually like dive into as a, as a career? And even at that time, it's not on the LinkedIn page, but I was also taking classes on the side for um, engineering and also product designs, so like actually like catting and, and like developing products. Because another route I was thinking of was maybe I could go into design, like product design, um, because that's sort of, you know, putting together, having a job that is design artistic and you know you're making products and it's that was you know it's a, it's a really cool field so i was doing that as well and then also selling the sex toys so a lot of a lot of different things across that that span of time so it's um so yeah it was sort of like taste testing different things um taking taking classes to see or to sort of reinforce different or like learn different things reinforce certain skills and more and more as I was doing these different things I was getting more and more interested and excited about the sex toy space because at the time it was very like there were a bunch of like high-end sex toys that were coming out that were the new things like oh it's not these like very phallic-y you know Mm-hmm. jelly there's a lot of like questionable materials there still is in the space but it was especially bad like five ten years ago just like you don't know what you're getting what you're using um it's yeah it's a little better now but still some work to do there and also there's just like you know what products are out there what new what new stuff has happened um and then like that, that interest led to like really getting into the selling sex toys part where I was, um, there's this opportunity, like I, w- I was like looking at different things, like what can I do? And that like, that's related to sex. I don't want to do research or go to graduate school for it. Like, you know, I'm not a academic, like I want to spend like four to six years at, you know, doing a, or doing a master's or a PhD and just be a researcher all day. Um, I also don't want to work in retail. Um, there's like, you know, take the subway train down to work at the sex shop, but that's like $12, $15 an hour, you know, almost minimum or, you know, like lo- very low pay. Like where's a career path for that? If I wanted to continue. Um, 
but there was this, um, there are these opportunities to do like sort of Tupperware parties. Um, there's like Tupperware style parties where you could arrange a party basically and you're selling sex toys. And yeah, I know it's the whole pyramid scheme thing. I don't generally approve <laughs> of it, but I only did it because I was interested in talking to people and showing these different interesting sex toys. And I just thought, you know, I thought it might be fun. So doing that, like that, like, like I had mentioned earlier, as I was doing that, I, I did parties in all sorts of places. Like you had uh, your sorority parties uh, that had sex, you know, sorority sex toy parties, your bachelorette parties, your, retirement parties, your neighborhood parties, like there, you could do it. You can arrange a sex toy party for any occasion is the first thing I learned. But the the second thing I learned was that like almost everyone has questions about sex and there's so much that you can learn, especially because education, like sex education is not that great in Mm -hmm. most places. Like even, even in more liberal parts of the world, it's it's still quite limited there's a whole rabbit hole of just there, there's not much information out there. There's not much development out there, especially for personalized sex education, because everyone's different. Our experiences are different. Our bodies, our sexualities, like that's, it's, there's not that much out there. And the other crazy thing was as I was, as people were asking me questions, I'd also find that a lot of people were asking me these questions for the first time. Like they, they weren't asking their doctors. They weren't, yeah. they weren't confiding in their partners in some cases. Like one, one woman was, uh, she was about to get married and she's like, I've never had an orgasm in my life. Is my relationship doomed? Like, you know, like, you know, just wow. different. Yeah. Like different. I mean, some, some questions of course are like a little less weighted and more like what's a G spot or, you know, what's a, how do I, or just, I don't like, yeah, what's G spot or what does this vibrator thing do? <laughs> you know, how do you turn <laughs> this thing off? Um, but it was just like, there's all these questions that people have and there's no place for that people can ask or feel comfortable asking. And they're asking me who I'm like, you know, my early twenties at the time. And that's just like, that's not, that's, you know, there's something, there's something going on here and there's not, enough happening to fix that or to change that. And where Lioness came about was we, I'd been sort of thinking about like, I want to do something in sex and I like the sort of physical product development, but I'm really open to like anything because it doesn't, you know, it's like the question was more like, how do you, how, what can we do to help people have better sex basically? Mm-hmm. And as we, like the first, like when you're starting a company, the, like the first thing, at least for everyone's different, but like for us, the first thing that we did was we can't, we had a hypothesis basically of what do we think could be interesting just based on what, what I know, what, you know, the other people know in terms of like our collective knowledge and making something and then getting feedback from people like iterating and prototyping and, you know, just there, you know, there's this whole sort of field of just like trying to figure out what, what is something that a lot, like a, a sizable group of people will be excited about that you can turn into a 
a sustainable, like a business that can sustain itself. So the first thing that we sort of came out with was how do we, um, or the first thing that we came out with was basically this, um, a, a vibrator that could be self-adapting. So it could, it, based on like sensors, could get a sense of like where people are at, if they like something more or less and kind of adjust itself. Especially because a lot of the a lot of the sex toys can be even just like on and off buttons can be confusing because it's not consistent across any of them for the most part. But um, what we found from that was people are not interested in that, which kind of makes sense because if you talk to most people, they'll have one or two settings or you know a handful of settings at most that they like, and then they just we just go to that. And it's like a cool thing of like, oh, you can have your own lovers or you know can just surprise you and you just press a button and you know, that's it. Like a microwave almost, you know, uh, but, but it's, um, it's not, it wasn't something in practice that would actually be interesting and that people would go back to. But what we did find as we were building this out is that because our, the product had sensors and was able to show data about your experience we, I think we even put a question in the end of one of the early like sort of feedback questions of would you be interested in, um, in, it was like a statistics, it was not sexy language. It was like statistical analysis of your sexual experience, you know, with this vibrator. And a lot of people said, yeah. And also like, you can do that. And then wait, can you answer these different questions? Like, can I, can I see like what is better or what works for me or how to have these different types of orgasms that I've been curious about or have an orgasm at all in some cases. And like that, that ended up being the the thing that was like, Oh, this is, it, it makes sense. Like I, I had these experiences of people having questions, wanting to know more about themselves and these and with based on their own experiences and not having much of that information being available pretty much anywhere. It's, it's, yeah. So it just, it's sort of this, um, looking back, it's hard to say at the time when you're in this process of figuring out things like where things will lead to. But when you look back, if you follow through with it and you look back, you'll see that there's like, Oh yeah, that, it kind of makes sense why we did this and why we did that. So it, it was, it's been an interesting process, but um, yeah, that's how we got to where Lioness is today. It's so fascinating, just your work in general, and then also your exploration period. Like I think so many of us, and especially, you know, I'm, I'm sure our peers out there listening can, can relate, you know, we can, we can just be quite hard on ourselves when we don't actually know what we want to do or or how we want to go about creating something. And it's almost like we have this expectation that we should know. Like if we don't know exactly where we want to be or exactly how to create that thing, like what's wrong with us? You know, how can we get better at being okay with the gray and that that phase where I guess just the unknown, how can we get better at that? Yeah, I think that's a, frankly, it's a difficult question to answer in a way, because I don't think 
it's not something that I think most people are ever naturally comfortable with. Like I'm still not comfortable with the gray, you know, and I'm, (laughs) I'm a full adult. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, even people, like people, there are people who are even older than I am. Like there's, it's, it's, it's really difficult to, to be comfortable with uncertainty. And I think that's why we try to like, we try to have certainty because we're, we're so uncomfortable with it. And even if the certainty is sort of, uh, you know, not so, uh, doesn't make sense sometimes, I guess is the best way to say it. But I think what, um, I mean, personally for me, what I've found is the times that I've taken the more, the exciting but uncertain path it's generally led to good things overall. Like starting a company was not something I had expected. Like mm. I didn't expect to be a you know, co-founder like in college or make a vibrator or like have <laughs> like sex as a topic be sort of the, a big part of my professional life. Like you know, coming out of college, like I, I wasn't thinking about that at all. Um, but it was just like, it's just, I guess if I were to sort of paint a picture of what it's like, it's sort of like reaching, you're in a dark room and you're just reaching for different objects and seeing what's interesting. And then you find something that's interesting. Like, Oh, this is a, you know, shiny rock. Like I I like this shiny rock. Like, let's see, let's go in this direction and see what else I find. And that's generally been good for me. Like it's generally worked out (laughs) is, um, so like even, um, even though it is uncertain, it's you kind of, you, you follow what seem what makes sense at the time. And yeah, you can, you want to pre-plan stuff. Like you want to, you want to think things through, like look at the pros and cons of what decision that you're making. Is this the most, is this the thing that matters the most at the time? Cause there's, there's a lot of, it's just a lot of noise. Like there's, there's so much that I, I worried about. At the, when I was even now, still, <laughs> there's so much that I worry about that, like, doesn't matter the next week or even the next day or the next year, or whatever. So, like, I think remembering some of that, like, going towards what looks interesting, planning it out beforehand so you're not, like, in an emotional state if you're making a decision. And, um, yeah, just knowing that it's, you know, it's a, we're always kind of in the state of, growing up and getting used to new things like that's it's really the best that you can do and being okay with knowing that yeah i'm going to get anxious about uncertainty it's going to be stressful but here's some tools and i know have worked and can work and things can be okay usually things can be okay i love it i have to repeat that to myself daily so you know it's a great reminder for me and i'm sure all our peers out there listening oh my goodness liz this is just so fascinating and we could talk for days i've got a couple of final questions for you um as we start to wrap up so the first one is you know, you've been doing this for about, I think it's about seven and a half years now you've been in business, which is an absolute feat. You know, what have, what has been some of your greatest failures on your entrepreneurial journey to date? Oh, so many. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess, well, let me think. I mean, I guess the, probably the one that's on top of mind right now, 
just because I'm, I'm dealing with this every day, is um, is trying to figure out or trying to adapt in this particular time with yeah. with the pandemic being in being in the U.S. especially um, because for, so basically while like sex tech as a category has been has been doing fairly well and lioness has too we've run into this challenge if you will of um we've run out of product <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah good problem to have and uh, yes so on the face like in most scenarios it's or in, in most cases like we typically, you know, do a restock, we'd have, we do another manufacturing run and things would be kind of, you know, just the gears are turning, you know, like it's not, it's not anything that is out of, um, not anything that's atypical. Like we've know how to know how to do that. We've done it in the past, but with the, with the change in the, like with the pandemic, it's been more difficult to like parts are in certain parts are in higher demand. Like we're competing because we have our, our device is basically the equivalent to some of the early models of smartphones. It's, it's actually more similar to like your sort of like smartphone devices in some ways than a typical vibrator. We're competing for certain parts that and certain services that the Apples and the Samsungs of the world are also competing for right now. And there's various component shortages. There's like, and then um, I could go on with this, but the other thing, it was um, like, I, the other thing was that we were trying to move some parts from, it's like, okay, we sourced some parts from Europe and we're moving it over to China. And uh, just as that was happening, the vaccine was approved and all the, the entire supply chain and logistics, like all the, you know, all the shipping, the, FedEx, the UPS, DHLs of the world, everything was completely clogged. And we're, we're trying to get like product and to be able to sell because people don't, we know people don't like waiting and having pre-orders. We don't like it either. And I just look back and it's like, we've been working on this since like the summer. Like, was there anything I could have done to like, to foresee this? Like, is there something that should I focus on certain pieces of this more? Like I was also doing a, a nonprofit or certain, not a nonprofit, but like a, like a grassroots organization earlier on in the pandemic uh, that ended up taking a lot of time, but was very fulfilling to help get masks to frontline healthcare workers when there was a huge shortage. And it's like, would a better balance of that time maybe made, you know, would have helped earlier on, but like, I don't, we couldn't have, foreseen like all the things that kind of cascaded at the same time but that's that's my current biggest failure <laughs> it's like just getting getting like focusing on like getting product into our warehouse to get to people it's like because it's really the, the lifeline of our company it's we sell one product so it's it's kind of it's kind of scary to be in this place and still still trying to still trying to compete and get things in order which hopefully should be happening pretty soon um, at this point, but it's been a it's been something that's definitely been difficult throughout throughout the holidays. So just like mm. we don't have products for people to put under their their Christmas tree or to give during Hanukkah mm. or birthdays, you know, come up and things like that. So it's 
Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> what can you do? Oh faster? my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a time. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh yes. And, and, you know, I think we've all felt it. And I think I so appreciate you for, for sharing that with us. I think, you know, when we see all the glossiness of Forbes under 30 and, and the TEDx talks and, and whatnot, we can often be a bit you know, have a different understanding or we might say, look at someone like yourself and think, oh my goodness, she's got it all sorted out all of the time. But actually you're, you're just navigating it too. And I think it just, it's in the strangest way. It's, it's, it's a, it's not a comforting feeling, but it it makes us feel less alone. So Mm -hmm. we really appreciate you for that. Oh my goodness. I mean, I think, this with this year, uh, with everything that's happened, we're all sort of in murky waters. So it's yeah. we can be in a we can be in a very uncertain place, but at least there is sort of knowing that we're all kind of navigating this together. Uh, for a lot of us are. So yeah, yeah myself included. <laughs> I love it. So look, over the last seven and a half half years, Liz, you've been going, you've gone from strength to strength. You've received so much recognition for your work. As I mentioned, you'd be featured on the Forbes City and the 30 list. The New York Times. That was Anna. That was my co-founder, Anna. Oh, sorry, your co-founder. Oh, my mistake. That's been the business. (laughs) No worries, no worries. Um, you've been featured in the New York Times, Women of the World. You've spoken at TEDx, at top universities, including Stanford, UC Berkeley and MIT, just to name a few. Uh, absolutely incredible what you've been able to do in the last, you know, seven and a half years. You know, what are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Oh, man. Just a... Uh just try something like just one is if you find if there's something that you're interested in, just try it, see what happens. The worst that can happen and for most things is that it doesn't work out. Nothing happens. You can move on. Uh, another thing is start, start small with the thing that you want to try and see what happens because it's really easy to like, especially with if you're making a new product, you have to have an idea Like you want to like, keep it like a prized little gem somewhere and, you know, be like, I'm toiling over it for years and I don't want anyone to see it because someone might copy me. And like most people, I mean, I hate to say it, but I I would tell this to my, my younger self, if I could, most people don't care. Most people aren't listening. They won't care. Maybe your idea is actually not that great. You should move on to another one or, um, there, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different things where it's like, you just try it. Like the worst that's going to happen is it's not going to work out or it's not, or nothing will happen or no one will care, but you'll have the experience of starting the thing, all the things that you're learning from doing that thing. And you'll have those lessons and those skills and that knowledge to use in the future thing that you'll probably do better the next time. And quick, the quick case in point with that is like with, um, with starting mass match, uh, which is the the grassroots organization I started with a friend like that. I like compared to Lioness where we worked on that for like three years almost before we did a public launch of it. Mass match I started like in over a weekend practically with a friend and that exploded into a whole thing being on, it was on the front page of SF gate and it was uh, in the San Francisco news. And then it was also, it also appeared in the New York times and, 
I was on Fox News TV several times, like for kind of doing the mass drive and helping people know that this is a way that you can help. But like, yeah, like you can start like, but I, you can start something quickly, but I didn't learn that lesson until I toiled over Lioness first. And then I was like, I can start it. The worst that will happen is, you know, we match a few masks with, uh, you know, some healthcare workers and help a little bit. It was an experience. And that one ended up being a bigger thing. But I've tried different things like, you know, in the mean, in, you know, those just over time. And, you know, some things just don't work or they, they don't pick up. And then you'll find things that do pick up, you know, just trying things. Mm-hmm. Um, third thing. Um, I don't know. Oh gosh, I'm trying to think of a good third, <laughs> third takeaway. Um, I think the like I was sort of saying before, but I'll repeat again because it. I think it's shaped a lot of my my experiences. Is sometimes a bit of like almost like a half or I don't want to say half impulse because it's that really an impulse, but some like. If you, some, okay, I'll just, I'll just flat out say, it's like, is it an impulse or not? But some of the decisions that I've made where it is a little more impulsive, Mm. but it ends up, it's like, comes from doing some, you know, lots of research, like kind of weighing pros and cons beforehand, but just making a decision sometimes because Mm. I'm gravitating, like I like it and it doesn't go against all the things that I've thought about have worked out really well. Like, starting lioness um or i recently i adopted two little two little baby bunnies because i (laughs) i was not it was so funny because i was like not i was not expecting it at all Mm -hmm. like (laughs) i was not thinking about having a pet but my um my brother-in-law who i live with he was looking into getting a dog and we live in different units just to be clear so it's the bunnies are not with the dog but Mm -hmm. Like I started looking and I've been, I had a rabbit when I was a kid and I was like, hmm, you know, like, oh my God, <laughs> these two bunnies, they're, they're little lion heads, they're little fluffs, like they're, it's, they're so cute. Um, so cute. And like, then, you know, the next, next day I'm coming, I'm coming home with rabbits and I'm like, okay, I need to get a cage and things now. <laughs> uh, but like, sometimes sometimes those decisions like i wouldn't have done that with a dog or a cat i'll just put it that way like but sometimes certain decisions where it's like okay i know some things about taking care of rabbits i've done some research on it like that has worked out really well for me like because it's Mm. i i don't know but it's like i don't know why exactly but some of those some of those things that i've done like they end up working out and it's not what you'd expect but it can just make your life so much better of especially over time that it's like sometimes just if you're someone like me who likes to be a perfectionist and have everything worked out like sometimes mm-hmm. shaking up things a little bit can be good not too crazy some things are not you know <laughs> i don't want to put out like oh just do anything and it sounds interesting you know <laughs> but like some with a sometimes with a bit of knowledge and a bit of you know research it can be very good <laughs> I love that. We've just got to get a little bit. I like to say we get a little bit crazy sometimes. I think that that often shake things shakes things up. No, yeah, that's, that's 
that's my way of getting crazy these days. I'm like, I have two little bunnies. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Like, oh yeah. my goodness. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my goodness, Liz, it's, it's been so awesome. Look, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the phenomenal work you've done and that you're doing for showing us that, you know, we can shake things up and we don't have to always follow that traditional route. And that sometimes, you know, if we just listen to ourselves and if we just, we just actually take a moment to reflect, you know, we can actually choose and make, make better decisions. And so for that, we really appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Michelle. I'm happy to, happy to dispense these little nuggets of wisdom with people. I love it. Amazing. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? Oh gosh. I think it depends on the person. I think for me, I think it's, it's uh, immeasurably valuable because that's what that's what I'm excited about. Like I wasn't going to be okay with just working in finance or working at a more corporate job for most of my career. Like it wasn't like it wasn't something that fulfilled what I was most excited about. But being able to do something I was interested in, and now like at this point, I've appreciated more and more being more being more in charge of my future basically by running running a company with a couple of people that's something that yeah like I can't you know it's I wouldn't be I probably wouldn't be happy doing most other things you know like it's just being being happy about something that you're that you're passionate about you have uh, you have um you have the ability to like change your situation and, you know, in different ways or, you know, just having, just having some, you know, sanity over your life. That, that's very valuable for me, <laughs> um, which is interesting because it's like, yeah, running a business is hard and it's very stressful, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's stress and, you know, you're, you're responsible for changing that. And like mm-hmm. that I'm able to change a lot of the like situation. If things change, I'm, I can help. Like that's, that's huge. But it, it really depends on what you're doing and what you're, it, it's knowing what your values are. Because for some people, they'll be perfectly happy getting a steady paycheck or they might be seeking like a job that, you know, where you're making as much money as possible or you're, you're seeking power and influence or you're seeking, you're, you know, you just have a thing that you'll be you know, like programming and you want to be a programmer. So you go work as a software engineer. Like it's like, it doesn't have to be something that you're passionate about, but it's knowing like what you care about and being able to, and then being okay with the things that you don't have or the things you might trade off for. If you choose a certain path, like I'm not, I mean, I'll, I'll say here, like, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm no Jeff Bezos by a long shot. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like vibrate the sex tech industry. It's actually, it's a very tough, like starting a company and in a sex tech industry, it's, there's not a lot of money here. I'll just, I'll just say that. So it's like, I definitely, I could have worked at Credit Suisse and gotten paid far more than what I'm doing mm. now. But, um, but I'm okay with that because I'm doing something I'm interested in. I value being able to do something sort of artistically creative and it's an interesting topic. I love the people I work with. 
So I'm happy with that. Like, and I also, you know, I'm able to work independently. I don't, my boss is my, or my customers basically. So like, <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm fine with that though. Cause it makes sense. You want to make a good product. So the, the incentives make sense there versus like <laughs> other situations where it might not. So it, um, yeah, that's, that's probably, that's, that's how I would answer that question. Hmm. Oh, I love it, Liz. And so much of that I agree so much with. So I really appreciate it. Oh my goodness. Where can people learn more about you and your business, Lioness? Yeah. So for, for me, I'm kind of on the internet sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I've heard it's a good place. It's, uh, <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm occasionally on Twitter. Uh, so I'm, I'm at, on all social media platforms. I'm pretty sure. Except for Facebook. No, no, even Facebook. I'm my my handle is uh, this is Klinger. Like so, this is T H I S I S K L I N G E R. And for Lioness, uh, I'm uh, we're at Lioness Health on social, and you can also visit our website at lioness.io and learn more about the vibrator. It's also available to ship to Australia when we have it in the warehouse. We're looking at. <laughs> Later this month, hopefully, um, or uh, like January, February timeframe. So, yeah, that's um, that's where you can find us. Perfect. We will link them up in the show notes. Thanks so much again, Liz. We've had a blast. You're so awesome. Thanks, Michelle. It's been fun. Amazing. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs> <laughs>